think that's where God ended up leading me this morning. And when I say this morning, I literally mean this morning. He kind of changed everything about 5 a.m. Uh, and, and just changed the, the direction. But it's something that I've shared with you before. But this first verse really kind of reiterates why it's a good thing. For me to say something I've said before, it's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for us to hear this again. And it's something, like I said, that I've preached on before, and it's something found in Philippians chapter 3, but it's not actually uh, written. The word's not there, but it's an underlying uh, thing that I think you'll see as we look at it. Before we get to that topic, though, uh, the one that's not mentioned outright, I want to touch on one of the topics that is uh, outright mentioned in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, and that word is joy. Paul talks about joy in Philippians. He talks about rejoicing and hoping. And it's all in the midst of a great persecution while he's sitting in a jail cell in the midst of struggles. But he found joy in those circumstances. And he even opens this portion of the letter with rejoice in the Lord. I think we like the idea of joy. And we might like a few of the verses in Philippians if we could take them out of their suffering context. But I think in a lot of ways it really makes us uncomfortable. The book of Philippians, if we really read it and take it for what it says, it makes us uncomfortable. And I think the reason that is is because it doesn't fit in our culture. As you all know, we live in a culture of instant gratification. Whether we want to admit it or not, many of us struggle with an I want it and I want it now mentality. We only want it, whether it is joy or happiness or material things or whatever else that we may want. We only want it if we can get it easily and with as little effort as possible. So, for example, if I don't feel like I get joy immediately in my relationship with Christ, then I'm going to move on and try something else. That may be our culture, but that's not the way this life works. And I came across a quote from Chuck Swindle on the joy found in Philippians. And I think he puts this mentality into perspective. And I'll tell you right now, it doesn't go along with the I want it and I want it now mentality. Here's what Chuck said. He said, if you want a prescription for joy, take one chapter of Philippians a day for the rest of your life. That's a little bit different than reading it through once and saying, I didn't get it. You know, I didn't find joy in that passage. I didn't find what I was looking for. Take one chapter a day for the rest of your life. This prescription from Chuck goes against the instant gratification culture that we find ourselves in. It says this isn't a quick fix and it's not an easy fix. It's a lifelong process. If you want true joy, then pour the word into your heart today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of your life. 
And that leads right into our focus this morning. And that is a love for Christ and a love for each other. The word love is the word I was mentioning or speaking of a moment ago that's not actually found uh, in Philippians chapter 3. It's actually only found a couple of times in all of Philippians. But after reading chapter 3 over and over and over again, and after reading all of Philippians over and over and over again over the last few weeks, it's become apparent to me that Philippians is as much a love uh, book of the Bible as First Corinthians chapter 3 is known as the love chapter. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will make it clear uh, and apparent in all of our hearts this morning what this true love looks like. God's love isn't like our culture's definition of the word love. Here's one of the things that I know I've shared with you before, but I'm going to share it again because it's good for you. It's good for me. We, we hear that word love thrown about and we use it in so many ways like I love pizza and I love my dog and I love my wife and I love Jesus. And when we throw around a word like that, it doesn't mean anything. Love doesn't mean anything in our culture because we use it for everything. So it has no meaning. And but that's what we say. That's what we think of when we think of love and we just throw it on to everything. And that's why in Philippians, what I found as I read it over and over again, even though it's not talking about love, what it's saying is this is what real love looks like. This is love in action. This is love shown in a life without using the word love. And that's what we'll see this morning in Philippians, because Paul does a really good job in chapter three and really the whole book of practically showing what real love looks like. And I think one of the reasons we miss it, that we don't see that, that we don't see love in Philippians is because it doesn't look like our definition of love. So we're going to get deeper into that in a moment. But before we do, I want to read uh, and before we actually read chapter three, I want to give you a little background into Paul that I think will make uh, everything that he's talking about in Philippians a little clearer. First of all, his name was originally Saul, and that's what he's referred to when we first see him in Acts, in Acts chapter nine. And we'll look at that in a minute. But Saul was his Hebrew name. And Saul was the name of a previous king of of Israel. So it was like a regal name. His other name, it's believed, was Paul. And that was his Roman name. So Paul was both uh, Jewish and Hebrew, um, but he was also a Roman citizen. So it wouldn't have been uncommon for him to have a Hebrew and a Jewish name. And so Paul is believed to have been his Roman name. Now, there's people in the Bible that God renamed and in the scripture it says, and God changed their name from this to this and this to this. There's no record of that for Paul. There's nothing that says God told him your name was Saul. Now it's going to be Paul. He just changed it at some point. Some people uh, believe that it's because Paul means lesser or little or small and that he switched it because he said, now that I've known Christ, I, I will make myself lesser to him. Uh, But there's nothing that 
actually says that either. So they're just kind of theorizing that. But that's how he changed his name. And and we just see that happen through the Bible. And then from one point on, he never refers to himself and nobody else refers to him as Saul again. It's just Paul after that. So that's why he's Paul in Philippians and Saul in Acts. Well, when we first encounter Paul in Acts, he's going by the name of Saul. And he was known for persecuting and killing Christians. And he was on his way to persecute and arrest more Christians in Damascus when he encountered Jesus Christ. Let's look at chapter 9. It's going to be on your screen so you can look at it with me. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 6. It says, Now as he, and it's talking about Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So it's interesting to me here that that he's been persecuting Christians, having them arrested, tortured, killed. And Jesus comes to him and says, You're torturing me. The body of Christ is Christ. And Jesus himself told Paul, when you're killing them, you're torturing, you're persecuting me. And then the Lord, uh, and it's not said in this part of the passage, but Paul was blinded in this instance. And so then he goes into the city blind. And the Lord spoke to a disciple named Ananias in a vision. And he said, there's a guy named Saul of Tarsus at this house, and I want you to go talk to him. Well, Ananias knew who Saul of Tarsus was, and he said, I don't want to go to jail or die. You know, do you know where you're sending me, Lord? And in verse 15, it says, but the Lord said to him, talking to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That kind of translates to Philippians. He's, he's experiencing some of that suffering. But like we talked when we went through Philippians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2, suffering is just part of life. We have to walk through suffering and, and Jesus is with us in that moment. So this isn't saying, God's not saying I'm going to punish him for the things that he's done. So I'm going to bring him to me. But boy, is he going to pay for what he did? He's just saying he's going to come to me and he's going to know what this life's really about. He's going to know what it's like to suffer for me, for my namesake. So Ananias obeyed and went to Saul. And then we jump to verse 20. And it says, And immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. That's a transformation. Here's a man that was going around persecuting and and killing and arresting Christians. And in an instant, his heart has been changed and he proclaims, This Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is who he says he was. So Saul had been totally transformed. He was a new creation. He was no longer a persecutor of Christians. He was a disciple of Christ. His heart had been changed. He was totally in love with Christ. And that is what we will see Paul describing in Philippians 3. A total transformation. A total change in his perspective. So let's read through chapter 3 together. Along the way, I'll point out some other things. But once we finish, I'll come back and we'll focus on that theme of love for Christ and for others. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I know a lot of you are thinking, what? What's that? What's that mean? Look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. What Paul's talking about and what he's meaning is he's referring to Jewish people who had become Christians, who believed Christ was their Savior, who, who they could come to, but they were now trying to say that Gentile Christians, Gentile believers, had to be circumcised. And they also had to follow the law. And what Paul's saying here is this is a twisting of the gospel. This isn't true. This isn't what Christ preached. And so he was coming against that, that confused, wrong version of the truth. And we'll see more of that in a moment. Verse 3 then says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We'll see in a, more in a moment, but what Paul's using this word here, we, he said, we are the circumcision. So he's grouping himself, a Jewish man who'd been circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He's grouping himself with these Philippian Gentiles who are uncircumcised. And he's saying, we are the circumcision of Christ. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's also saying very clear, and uh, it's also stated very clear in other scriptures, including in the Old Testament, that God always had the intent of circumcision being something about the heart. It says God circumcises the heart. The physical circumcision was always an outward sign of what had happened in their life, in their heart. The same way as the baptisms we uh, were able to witness this morning, the baptism is an outward sign of what happened in their life. They have a new life. They've been transformed. The old is gone. The new has come. They are a new creation. And that baptism was just a sign showing what had happened in their heart. And that was always the purpose of circumcision. And now uh, they were saying, we have baptism. The circumcision has gone away. God is not requiring that of us anymore. And there's other passages in the New Testament where the disciples used this argument as proof that these uncircumcised Gentiles uh, were part of Christ and didn't need uh, physical circumcision. They said they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been transformed. Their lives are new. And they said if God filled their heart and filled them and he didn't require that of them, how can we now come along and say, oh, but you got to backtrack and do that too and meet all these requirements before you're really going to be saved? So that's what Paul is coming against in, in those couple verses. Now, verse 4 says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying, I checked off all the boxes. If it were possible to please God by works, I've done it all. I was lacking nothing. But he goes on to say in verse 7, But whatever gain I had in all of these things, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And I saw something here in this passage that I hadn't seen before because I had always seen Saul or Paul, whatever name you wanted to call him by at this point, prior his conversion as a religious Pharisee like the Pharisees that Jesus came across uh, in, in, in his walking on the earth. And it, and it just seemed like it was all about his ambition and his works and that he was really just thinking about himself. But I think he really believed in what he was doing. And he really thought this is the way to God and I'm going to do everything I can to get to him. He was just going about it the wrong way. And as we read Uh, But just because he believed it was the right way, it didn't make it right. And he didn't have a relationship with God. And that's the danger of religion and the idea that we can gain our salvation through works. So I, I really do believe in his heart. He thought he was doing what it would take to make God happy. He even said in the verse above that he he was persecuting Christians with zeal for God. In his mind, he was doing that for God before he knew, before he had a relationship with Jesus. But as we read in Acts, Saul had an encounter with Christ. And that relationship changed everything. Everything that he had previously thought added up to his salvation. Now he considered it rubbish. And rubbish is a nice word for the word that's actually used here. If you have a King James version of the Bible, you'll see what it really is. It refers to it as dung. And that's the word that he was using there. And I don't know about you, but I put rubbish or trash on a different level than I put dung. Those are two different categories in my book. If I spill some trash, I'll pick it up. That's what he thought of all of his works, all of his accomplishments, everything that added up to his salvation. Now he realized in the light of Christ, in the light of grace, in the light of coming to him only through faith, because it's a righteousness that Christ attained in the light of that. Everything else is like dung. So verse nine and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And like he said, if that were possible, I was the best one. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There it is. Paul says, I came to the realization that all my works All my knowledge, my racial heritage, everything I had was of no worth. God was always after my heart. And until I came to him through faith in Christ with the righteousness from God that depends on faith, I had nothing. And after I came to know Christ through faith, everything else was less than nothing. He was putting it in a comparison. He said, all these things that I thought were something, now I see that it was the love of God that suffered to send His only Son to die on a cross for our sins, to be separated from, from His Son who He'd been with for eternity. He loved us enough. He, wanted, he was willing to suffer enough to send His Son. And Christ Himself loved us so much 
that he was willing to separate from his father. We talked about it last week in chapter 2, that he would consider himself, not count himself equal with God. Paul's talking about his position, his life, where he could say, I checked all the boxes. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a zealous Pharisee. I did all these things. Well, what about Christ? He was the Son of God. And he humbled himself. He gave up everything. He suffered everything to serve us and to die on a cross. And Paul's saying, now that I realize that, what value was everything that I thought I had attained? My self-righteousness, my works, my racial heritage that I was a Jew and a Hebrew of Hebrews. What is all that worth? It's worthless. It's like dung. Because of the righteousness and the life that I see in Christ now and that relationship that I have, now I realize that's everything. And whatever I have to suffer, whatever I have to go through, whatever this life brings, if I can get through it with Christ, then everything else pales in comparison because I have a relationship with the Son of God. That's where he came to. That was the relationship that he had when he was writing Philippians chapter 3 so that he could be in prison and say, I have hope and I rejoice and it's better that I stay here for you because I'm here as a witness for Christ. But if I died, hallelujah, because I'd be with him. That's the place that he found himself. And this word that was used here uh, in verse 10, he says... uh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That word know there is an intimate know. It's like the relationship between a husband and his wife. He wanted to know Christ and everything about Him in the most intimate ways to be. Uh, Jesus referred to us as friends to the disciples. He called them His friends. He's saying, we're going to share everything with each other. That's the kind of relationship that Paul was talking about. He's saying, I want to know him. I want to be in relationship with Christ. I want to be like him in every way. In verse 12, it says, "Now, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There's two things I want to point out in that passage. First of all, that when Paul says forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead, you have to realize what he was forgetting. It wasn't just the good things. It wasn't just all the the works, what he thought was his righteousness. He had killed Christians. He would persecuted and beat them and had them arrested. And now he was one himself. There's other uh, passages in Acts where like he couldn't even witness in that area because there was still they still knew who he was, who he had been. And they still couldn't accept him uh, because of what he had done. And so he had that on his conscience. How many of you have something in your past that you would like to forget? And you know Satan was bringing these things up to him and condemning him and saying, who do you think you are? I know what you've done. I know who you were. And you think you're different now? 
So Paul's saying, I'm forgetting that. I'm, by the grace of God, I'm forgetting that, and I'm straining for what lies ahead, for what Christ has for me. And I love what verse 15 says, Let those of you who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He's saying when we, when we have wrong theology, when we're uh, thinking wrong about something, God's going to take care of that too. If you really have a heart for Him, if you're really seeking Him, God's going to reveal it to you. He's going to show it to you. He's going to bring the truth to you. He's not going to leave you in the dark. And, he's, and the, whole, the, the Word says over and over, the Holy Spirit will reveal all truth to us. And that's what Paul's uh, referencing there. In verse, 15, or I'm sorry, in verse 17, then he says, he will finish up the chapter. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This scripture, this next verse, uh, represents what we're talking about, about the love for others. Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. He was saying, I'm, I'm in tears when I think about the people who don't know Christ, who haven't come to the knowledge of him. That's, that's what our heart should be for those who don't know him. And when we come to this knowledge of Christ, we'll feel the same way because you can't have that love. You can't experience that love and that relationship and not want everyone else to have that as well. Can you see and hear Paul's heart in Philippians chapter 3? It's crying out, all I want is Christ. Before I make my final point, I want to reread verse 7 through 11 in the Amplified Version. And it'll be up on the screen so you can read along with me. Verse 7, But whatever former things were gained to me as I thought then, these things once regarded as advancements in merit, I have come to consider as loss, absolutely worthless for the sake of Christ and the purpose which he has given my life but more than that I count everything everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him a joy unequaled for his sake I have lost everything and I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, believing and relying on him, not having any righteousness of my own, derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And this so that I may know him, experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness even to his death dying as he did so that I may attain to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead. 
Paul had been transformed. He was no longer the man he was before. He was a new creation, totally in love with Christ. And everything else paled in comparison. God loves us that way. He loves us with a true heart. He loves us with a pure heart. And that's what he's looking in each, for in each of us. 1 Samuel 16, 7 recounts God speaking to Samuel as he was looking for the next king to anoint. And it was, he was about to anoint David. And it said, For the Lord said to, to Samuel, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's all about real love. It's always been about what's in our heart. And we know it's in his heart. It was in his heart to send his son. It was in his son's heart to come. And he's looking for a heart that's willing to accept that and receive that. In my mind, this relationship should be a lot like marriage. But kind of like our uh, use of the word love, our outlook on marriage in our culture is a lot different than what it used to be as well. And unfortunately, this example loses some of its meaning. We kind of have a divorce-happy culture where if the marriage gets hard, if we disagree, if there's a problem, then it just wasn't meant to be. Remember, we want it and we want it now. If it's hard, that must mean this wasn't the right person. God wouldn't have made it this hard. It'd be easier if this was really who I was supposed to be married to. So if we don't have the right one, then we find another one. And we get divorced and try again and then get divorced and try again and get divorced and try again. And many people try this over and over and over, finding out that that's not the solution. And that's not the way it works. And that's not the way our relationship with Christ works. The old traditional marriage vows, and this is from the man's perspective, it says, I will love her and comfort her, honor and keep her for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep thee only as long as we both shall live. And then it goes on to say, And with all my worldly goods I thee endow. So they're saying, I give everything to you, whether it's good or bad, whether it's hard or easy, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're sick or well, whatever it is. And that's what Paul's describing in Philippians. He's saying, I'm suffering. This life is hard. I'm going to go through all kinds of circumstances. People want to kill me. I'm in prison now. I've been beaten, but I have joy in Christ. Because when I look at all those other things, it pales in comparison. And when we come to a relationship in Christ, if we really know Him, if we really have that relationship with Him, that's what's in our heart. That everything else will pale in comparison when we come to Him. Our, our relationships, our marriages are not relationships where we only stick around when it's pleasant and easy, where everything goes my way. Paul stated over and over, this relationship is going to cost you everything. You have to be willing to give up everything. You have to love Christ with everything that you have within you. And not only Christ, but your brothers and sisters. Because when you love Him that way, you're going to love everybody that way. And He says, so much so that I'm weeping over those that are lost. That's our relationship with Christ. 
It's not a one-day thing. It's not saying one prayer and getting your ticket stamped so you get to heaven. That's not a relationship with Christ. It's a lifelong relationship, knowing Christ better every day and growing in a deeper and more intimate relationship with Him each and every day. There's a quote that I came across from A.W. Tozer, and he's a theologian. He said, he said it well. This is what he wrote. He said, I almost shrink from hearing the expression, the deeper life. And what he's referring to there is like, I want a, I want a relationship with Christ. I want a relationship with God. He's saying, I almost shrink from hearing this expression, the deeper life, because so many people want to talk about it as a topic. But no one seems to want to know and love God for himself. God is the deeper life. Jesus Christ himself is the deeper life. And as I plunge on into the knowledge of the triune God, my heart moves onto the blessedness of his fellowship. This means that there is less of me and more of God. Thus my spiritual life deepens and I am strengthened in the knowledge of His will. And I think this is what Paul meant when he penned that great desire that I may know Him. And that's what I hear from Philippians when I read it, that every bit of being within Paul was crying out, I just want to know Christ more. Everything in him was groaning and aching to know Christ more. He said, I don't care if I have to die on a cross too. I don't care. I want the fellowship of his suffering. I, whatever it takes, if I can know Christ more, bring it on. And he goes on to say, Paul was expressing more than the desire for acquaintance. He was yearning to be drawn into the full knowledge of fellowship with God, which has been provided in the plan of redemption. We all have access to it. We all have access to that relationship that God wants with each and every one of us, but it's going to take everything. And that's what I'm walking away from Philippians chapter 3 with. The heart cry of Paul. That we can have that same heart that with everything in us we cry out that I could know Him, that I could know Christ. Whatever it costs, whatever the loss, Whatever the suffering, nothing else matters. And that love will translate to a love of God and of Christ and to our fellow believers and to the lost like we can't imagine. Because we can know Him. And Paul was just crying out and crying out from that prison cell. And whether he was in prison or out or wherever he found himself, that's all he wanted. So much so that he penned earlier If I could die today, that's my heart's desire, but I know he's got me here for a reason. That was the level of relationship he had. And he goes on to say, I I know I still haven't even attained it. He himself didn't say, I've gotten there. I'm not finished because I'm still here. God still has more for me. So as long as we're here, as long as he's giving us breath, we can grow closer to him and he's got something for us to do. We can know him. We can be in that relationship with Christ, with the Son of God. And then all the suffering, all the pain, everything that we run into isn't so important anymore. 
then we can look at it like Paul and say, it's all done. It really is. Everything else apart from Christ and apart from winning other people to Christ, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't. I was talking to somebody this morning. Uh, so a situation came up in their family, and he was saying we had plans for the next like four days. Well, he was like, when it came up, he said, I knew all my all our plans had changed, but it was a, a family thing that came up. And I was saying, it's so true. We could have things at our schedule that were the most important thing that we could say that can't drop, that ball can't drop, that is that's got to get done. And then something else comes up, and guess what? They get dropped. And it doesn't matter. That's what it's like when we come to that relationship with Christ. Everything else falls into that category and we realize it doesn't matter. Christ is all that matters. My relationship with Him is all that matters. And He can do whatever He wants to do. Take me wherever He wants to go through whatever I need to go through if I just can know Christ more. That can be our heart cry if we get the heart of Paul, what he was writing in Philippians. Will you bow with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Oh my goodness, you love us so much. You sacrificed so much. You suffered so much out of love. And we have the privilege, the privilege to suffer for your sake, that we might know you more. Father, I just pray that it would be our heart's cry to know Christ more. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever path you have for us to walk, Lord, that we would be able to say as Paul did, everything else pales in comparison to Christ. And I consider everything else, all my accomplishments, all my righteousness, all of that adds up to filthy rags and dung in the light of what you've done. And by faith, I can receive Christ Jesus and get the righteousness that you give us as a free gift through what Christ did. And then we're free to have a loving, open relationship with the Son of God. Father, let that be our heart cry. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.